Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. The Fulton County Special Grand Jury probing into whether or not Donald Trump and others illegally interfered with Georgia's 2020 presidential election results. Well, it's concluded. So what's next? We'll talk about all that. Plus, state lawmakers are headed back to the Gold Dome. Our politics reporters preview yet another legislative session that's coming up moments from now. And Learn for Life's annual report on the state of education in Metro Atlanta. We'll dig into that. Plus, there's this uh, little football game taking place tonight. It's another college football championship title game for UGA. This time, the dogs take on TCU. And here's a question. Just who are the horned frogs of TCU? By the way, a horned frog is not really a frog, as you will learn. It's a breakdown of who wins and why. All that's ahead. But first this, President Joe Biden will travel to Atlanta next Sunday for services at Sweet Auburn's Ebenezer Baptist Church. Now, President Biden will deliver remarks during the church's annual Martin Luther King Jr. commemorative service. This will be Biden's first trip to Georgia since January of last year. The service hosted by the King Center will take place next Monday, the official MLK holiday. U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock, of course, is the pastor at Ebenezer and was just elected to a full six-year term. In other news, a criminal trial of Atlanta-based artist Young Thug is expected to last six to nine months and delay at least one other high-profile case, as we hear from WABE's Shemaine Cruz. Prosecutors and defense attorneys are continuing to narrow down the jury pool this week. The process is expected to take more than a month. Young Thug, whose legal name is Jeffrey Williams, faces charges for his alleged role in the supposed Young Slime Life street gang. However, he's pleaded not guilty to all eight charges. The judge presiding over the case is also overseeing the trial for the man accused of killing four Asian women at Fulton County Spas in March of 2021. Robert Aaron Long's case was delayed last year and set to start in January but additional hearings have now been pushed to May. A new trial date hasn't been set. Shemaine Cruz, WABE News. Now, as mentioned, it is day one of the 2023 Georgia legislative session. Yes, the General Assembly kicks it off today at the state capitol. Democratic House Minority Leader James Beverly was all excited about the dozens of new state lawmakers. It is fascinating because Georgia has changed. And so what you're starting to see, especially with our caucus, we might have the most diverse caucus Uh, in the United States. And so it is exciting and the energy is palpable. I mean, if you look around right now, the energy is just, whoo. And so I'm excited, man, just to be in a part where I can help these folk to grow, learn the system, and then put Jordan in a better place as we move forward. Uh, Beverly spoke to WABE at last night's Wild Hog Supper, which is one of the traditional legislative kickoff events. However, everybody don't like pork, so they need to maybe add wild hog and tofu supper. Uh, speaking of day one and all the traditional ceremonial happenings, let's welcome our WABE politics team, Raul Bali and Sam Greenglass, who are live from the steps of the state capitol in the sunshine. Fellas, here we go again. Hey, Rose. Hey, Rose. <laughs> and there was plenty of other options. I was there at Wild Hog. That was my interview with with leader Beverly and, mm-hmm. and there was plenty of vegetarian options along with the pig. All right. Just checking. Cause you know, it's important. Uh, before we get to all of what's happening down there where you all are, I want to Sam start with you because as mentioned, there is some news regarding that uh, Fulton County special grand jury. What do we know? 
Yeah, I mean, just as the legislature was convening this morning, we got another round of news from somewhere totally not the state capitol. Uh, the special grand jury has wrapped up its work uh, since being convened about a year ago. And uh, we're now waiting to see if we're going to get a report on what exactly they found. Uh, there'll be a hearing uh, in court on January 24th uh, when a judge that's been overseeing this case will decide whether it should be made public or when. And this report might include recommendations for whether there should be criminal charges uh, to anyone involved with these efforts to overturn the 2020 election result. And Sam, as much as you can for our listeners who may have be questioning, well, will the judge rule right then and there from the bench on that day? Do you know? Well, I don't think we know at this point, but I think there is an argument to be made given the amount of public interest in this case. Uh, McBurney, the, the judge overseeing this case, has been uh, pretty open to allowing the press to see the, you know, pieces uh, as it develops, mm -hmm. uh, given that so much of it is behind closed doors when there have been opportunities uh, to, you know, provide an update to the public they have. So I think there is a good case to make that this should be public. But if it's not, you know, we might not know exactly what's in it for months or even years, uh, you know, if a trial were, were to ever play out. Wow. And this is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Can you imagine the media? I won't use the word circus because I said I would stop saying that. The media frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> Credible media frenzy around that day. So get your and rest. I do, want, I do want to mention one other important thing that will be happening kind of in this process. Uh, do remember that Fonnie Willis, the district attorney of Fulton County, was disqualified mm -hmm. from handling now soon to be Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones's case. And so that is going to be another issue that comes into play. Pete Scandalakis, who is who. Uh, runs the Council of uh, Prosecutors here in Georgia, is going to have to make a decision on appointing possibly a special prosecutor in the case of Lieutenant Governor-elect Jones. And so that's something that we're going to be watching for. And, and uh, Pete Scandalakis has made it clear he wasn't going to do anything until that report comes out, which is, is another domino that is in this process. What have either of you, I know lawmakers are all excited about UGA and that's fine, but have you all in this short time that this announcement came out, has anyone made any comments about, you know, what could possibly happen or just it's still, let's all wait and see. I, it, it's, it's the couple of people, it was, it was, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And look, there's a few other things that have to happen first too. You know, just because the special grand jury is done and the report is done, you know, that's not going to mean that there's charges all mm -hmm. of a sudden. There might be recommendations in this report that Prosecutor Fonnie Willis will decide what she wants to do with, whether she wants to bring charges. And bringing charges would require convening another grand jury, a normal grand jury. So there's still a few steps that have to happen here. This isn't over. All that we know is that the report is done, and that's kind of the beginning of this next phase in this investigation that we've been following for so long at this point. Wow. Well, speaking of the beginning, let's talk about this this year's legislative session. In that clip, Raul, and I'll start with you because you spoke with uh, Beverly. Listen, there's some lot of new faces there down there at, at the Gold Dome. What is the, I know it's early, but what are you hearing about people just having some excitement about some, some new faces here and some new leadership? It's, it's a couple of things. First of all, it's the amazing diversity of that leader, uh, of those new members. You know, we're going from six Asian American lawmakers to 11. You have Nigerian-American lawmakers that, that are coming in. And that diversity is both on, on the Republican and, and uh, Democratic side, mainly the Democratic side. But, it, you know, but the other thing about all these new members is where exactly do they stand on every single issue? And what is that going to mean for gambling, for example, mm -hmm. you know, with all these new members? So it's both issues new points of view, new people, and, and, and people, you heard J the excitement in James Beverly's voice mm -hmm. of, th that was my big takeaway, being at the Wild Hog Supper um, across the street over at the uh, Georgia Freight Depot. Mm -hmm. There were so many new faces, you know, such, you know, because of redistricting, mm -hmm. because of the 2020 elections, because of people retiring. There are so many new faces here. And Sam, with these many new faces, and Raul talked about the diverse makeup 
of, of lawmakers this session. And given what's taken place up in Washington and what just took place last week, uh, do you think there is a sense that, that these lawmakers say realize that we have got to not repeat or have some of that same energy that's in Washington between the two parties? Well, you know, we asked a lawmaker walking by on the steps just a couple of minutes ago uh, what they thought about the drama in Washington, and they kind of shook their head. Uh, so, you know, I think there's certainly some interest in more collegiality, more bipartisanship in this chamber that's maybe different from Washington, D.C. But at the same time, Republicans have a slimmer majority in the House, especially this year. And so there is the possibility that a couple of lawmakers might be able to you know, gum up the works here if they want to pull a stunt like we saw in Washington from some of these really conservative members of Congress holding up uh, the bid of Kevin McCarthy to be House Speaker. And let me mention two things that happened here today just mm -hmm. to kind of show you that things may be a little different here. First of all, uh, over on the state Senate side when they were electing the Speaker Pro Tem, which is the most powerful position below Lieutenant Governor, mm -hmm. the Democratic leader um, Gloria Butler seconded the nomination of the Republican. They did not put up a Democratic candidate mm -hmm. against, and it was by acclamation. And the other interesting thing, and actually what people are buzzing here about, you know, the people who, who work here, and we have a calendar for all 40 days, mm -hmm. which I can never remember yeah. that happening. We know the calendar for the whole session. And I ask people, what is that a representation of? There's the possibility that, that the Senate and the House are working together and that there's a respect for lawmakers. You know, Mary Margaret Oliver, who's a state representative, is like, look, I can put together my law office schedule now. Mm -hmm. My wife and I, me and Drew, we can put together our spring break schedule for me and the kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it, 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 it was mentioned, it's, it's almost a respect and that people are going to possibly be able to work together, right, Sam? Yeah, and you know, I think one thing that I'm watching for to see if it'll be different this session is last session, you know, headed into the primaries, there was a lot of really controversial legislation mm -hmm. that came up in both of these chambers, you know, things like permitless gun carry, uh, how race is taught in schools. And there was this intense partisanship, this intensity between both sides on some issues and I'm curious whether that will exist as much now that we are not in an election season and there's not as many of these hot button topics that we're expecting to come up this session. Let's talk about then some topics that we might expect to come up. Raul, you mentioned gambling and casino. Listen, I, I feel like every year for the last 10 years that has been at the top, but then by the end of the session, it just, it dies out. Could this be the session, the year? that there is some movement on some type of casino or gambling related type measure because For it has to go it, it has to get to and, and, and ultimately it has to become a amendment an amendment right that is the general so when it comes to casino gambling and horse racing yes that has to be a constitutional amendment there is some debate here at the capitol about online sports betting but then the bigger question is if you're going to do online sports betting and you're going to do why not put everything on the ballot and you know we saw some movement last year with speaker ralston and if you wonder will that continue with other leaders here and you know that's the again back to having so many new members where's this all going in the look the first signs we're going to get of where gambling could go is when state lawmakers are assigned their committees. And I'm gonna be looking at the committees that would take up gambling to see if those committees, you know, their faces have changed a little and, and maybe more pro-gambling. So absolutely, there's that discussion. But you know, the big question, honestly, the big question still, when you talk to lawmakers of what's important about gambling is what do you do with the money? Right. Where does the money go? And, and I've done this in the past. I'll walk up to five lawmakers. One will say education. One will say health care. One will say mental health. The next one says, I am opposed to gambling completely. So the key thing is because you need two-thirds majority to get this passed, Democrats have to be on board. The majority of Republicans have to be on board with what, it, what goes on the ballot and then what that money is used for. But not only in terms of what the money is used for, but also should there be a commission, which also would take the General Assembly to approve, the authority that governs all of this. Because exactly. from what I understand, the lottery folks are like, 
we we just want to deal with scratch offs and make a millions. We don't want to deal with all of this. So that would take a whole. You have to set up a whole nother commission. And given what's happening with the cannabis commission, um, sometimes getting these commissions all up and running is more of a challenge than actually overseeing the actual activity. So that can be something else that lawmakers going to have to consider. Absolutely. Uh, Sam, let's talk about, again, it's the M word, uh, Medicaid and expansion. What are we hearing? Well, uh, I don't think we've heard talks of this coming up necessarily again. So there's been this back and forth, as you know, over the waiver that the Kemp administration had sought uh, to do kind of their own version of the expansion program Mm -hmm. that would have a work requirement. It had been tied up in courts. The Biden administration had pushed back on it after the Trump administration had accepted it. So this has been this very long saga. And now the courts, the last, well, correct me if I'm wrong, the last word has been that Georgia can go ahead and implement the work requirement program that they'd wanted to do. So now what we're waiting on is to see if they go ahead and do that and what that looks like. Last I checked in with the um, department that is in charge of that, they did not have an update for us. I think at the end, Democrats want to get something done on health care. You know, in that same conversation I had with Minority Leader Beverly last night, over at the Wild Hog Supper, he, he said healthcare is still a big issue. What does that look like? Does it look like Medicaid expansion? Probably not, uh, unless there's a change uh, in the governor's office on that position. But, uh, you know, I think there's something that wants to get done on, on healthcare. I don't know what that is, but it's something I'm going to be watching. And, Ro, let me stay with you for a moment because for it's been so, so long since we've not heard, you know, David Roston kick things off um, uh, who passed away uh, some months ago but what what should we know about John Burns who is he he has generally great relationships with everybody on both sides it's going to be on some level of a continuation um, of of uh, of what speaker Ralston did um, but I think there's still a lot we're going to have to learn about. Look, is he cut from the cloth of David Ralston? Yes. Mm-hmm. How is he going to operate here? I don't know. That's something we're going to yeah. watch. But let me tell you, seeing a 40-day calendar, again, I can't you know, stress enough to your audience that we never get the full calendar at the beginning of the session. That, to me, is a representation of John Burns and, and how he operates of, I'm making sure that we've got a calendar at the beginning of the session to where lawmakers can plan for their families, their jobs that are away from the Capitol. That may be like maybe the first sign we're seeing of how how Speaker, now Speaker Burns, is going to operate. And, you know, in terms of we always hear this term, fellas, rising stars. You know, we hear it a lot on the national platform with Democrats and Republicans. Are there some rising folks, I won't call them stars yet, are, are there some rising folks that you all are going to be interested in seeing how they get through this legislative session and how, what type of influence uh, they may have? Who's it for you, uh, Raul? Wow, there's nearly 50 new members up here. Yeah. And it's, it's it, it would be hard for me to name one right off off the bat. I think what's going to be more, let me give you a more interesting dynamic. The idea that we now are going to have um, an Asian American caucus. You know, you talk to now Representative Al. You know, we're going to have an, uh, a Hispanic caucus here at the state capitol. Mm-hmm. You know, and how that they're going, you know, at what points are they going to work together and they're going to interact? To me, that's going to be as interesting as any single or particular member. Mm-hmm. Um, there are going to be stars out of this because you've got so, you know, so many new members and, the, and they're going to try to make their imprint. And the flip side of this dynamic, too, is some of the rising stars in the legislature are not coming back this yeah. session. Uh, you know, you had Representative B. Wynn, who ran for Secretary of State, mm-hmm. uh, Senator Jen Jordan, who ran for Attorney General, both mm-hmm. lost their races, and they will not be back uh, under the Gold Dome this session. So there will also be new opportunity for some of these new members to rise and become power players in this yeah. building. Yeah. And finally, fellas, before we begin to wrap up, uh, let's just take our listeners, give them a brief one-on-one you know, it's not it's not uh, schoolhouse rock, but I think we can make it work. I love uh, schoolhouse rock. Yeah. So, how does a bill become a law here in Georgia? Who wants to take it? Oh, look. Well, now you. Sign. Okay, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> Raul's got more uh, more years under the hood by than the I way, do. By the way, uh, and I, I, I think I'll tweet out the picture later. 
Somebody had a schoolhouse rock cookie and put it on a few of the desks of the senators, <laughs> which was really the bill. Yeah, uh, the and bill. I'll tweet that. But it was really cool. <laughs> Look, uh, a state lawmaker, either in the Senate or the House, files a bill, either in the Senate or the House. Um, the lieutenant governor who presides over the Senate or the Speaker of the House assign it to a committee. It goes through that committee. From the committee, it goes onto the rules calendar and it's voted on in the bodies, crosses, you know, from one, the House to the Senate or Senate to the House, and then they have to do the same thing, mm -hmm. assign it to a committee, pass it out of committee and vote for it. Any changes are made to the bill, it has to be revoted by the other side, yep. and then it goes to the governor. Sounds easy. Not that easy <laughs> around here, but that's that's kind of the short. And there's so many bills that oh, we're yeah. going to be watching for. So many interesting conversations. Runoffs, abortion, yeah. EVs. Oh, EVs, absolutely. You name it. Yeah. You, you know, an interesting thing I've been hearing here is that whole idea of developers who build whole neighborhoods of single-family homes yeah. that are for rent. Mm -hmm. You know, and along with these corporations that are going into buying homes, I've heard so much conversation in the past 24 hours about that and then also about the size of large tractor trailers going around in Atlanta and, and, um, and on, on our interstates. I've been hearing conversations about that. There's so many A reminder that there's some wonky stuff that happens here, but stuff that affects people's <laughs> yeah. everyday life, you Absolutely. know, in a really visceral way. Exactly. Listen, from raw milk to... <laughs> You know, possum meat or whatever we were talking about last time. Oh, yeah, the possums. The possums. I mean, this is all great. Okay, fellas, here we go. Who you got? Here we go. UGA versus TCU prediction. Raul. It's going to be close. Look, I've been hearing um, fans talking about winning by three touchdowns. Um, I, I think it's going to be a lot closer. It really, it's going to be a close game. Well, I'm a Michigan Wolverine, so this would have been a different conversation uh, if my team had won on New Year's Eve. Uh, but given that they didn't, I feel pretty safe in rooting for the Bulldogs. All right. And, that, and that is why it was a very shortened activity day. We're not going to be here tomorrow, by the way. Yes. We're not even session tomorrow. Yeah, and it's because of the anticipation of... Uh, UG, a UGA celebration, maybe I don't know. Uh, Apparently, there was a bus headed to the airport for lawmakers. Yeah, after this someone got just out, told so. me there was a bus. That was who I paid know. for the bus? Taxpayers. <laughs> we'll investigate, Rose. You got it. <laughs> WAB politics reporters Raul Bali and Sam Greenglass will be your credible news source for all the happenings this legislative session. As always, I appreciate you all. Thank you for taking the time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right, fellas. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. You know, in a few months, yes, high school graduations will get underway. And for this year's graduating seniors, they will have a story to tell, as nearly all of them, back in 2020 and even part of 2021, spent time learning virtually due to the pandemic. And for many of those specific student groups, the pandemic added to already existing gaps and inequities within K-12. Now, the Atlanta-based organization Learn for Life recently issued its State of Education in Metro Atlanta report that includes how the pandemic impacted learning environments for area public school students. And we're going to learn more as we welcome Executive Director Ken Zelf, who's been on the program before. Welcome. Great, great to be with you, Rose. Thanks for having me. Wow, I mean, this is 2023. When you think back to 2020 and, and as I think in March of that year when schools had to shift and figure out how to do this, not just obviously here in Georgia, but throughout the nation and even around the world. When you think back to then to now, what, how do you sum all this up? 
Yeah, we know a lot more now than we yeah. did when we were going through the pandemic. Like you said, it's coming up on three years in, in the middle of March. And what we've, we've learned is we've gotten our hands around the data is that the pandemic affected kids unevenly. Mm-hmm. Some kids who came from well-resourced homes who were doing well before uh, are, are roughly back to where they were and on track uh, before the pandemic. But for kids who had been historically deprived of resources, mm-hmm. kids that have always been deprived of resources, the, the impact was devastating. We see, you know, specifically in math, mm-hmm. but uh, especially in, and also in literacy, we see a lot of the impact is really felt on those kids. We're going to dig into that a little bit later, uh, but I want to just set this up for our listeners. First, a little bit about Learn for Life here. Yeah, so Learn for Life is a partnership of the school districts in Metro Atlanta, the eight systems in Fulton, Gwinnett, Cobb, DeKalb, and Clayton. And we, we come together uh, as, as district leaders and also in, in different levels of management mm-hmm. to look at data to figure out what's working. The idea is if we can figure out what's working, we can invest in what's working, we can scale that to impact some of the education disparities we have in Metro Atlanta. And I want folks to understand with the school districts here, we're talking about APS, That's right. Clayton County. Cobb County, school, City Schools of Decatur, uh, DeKalb, Fulton, Gwinnett, and Marietta City Schools. Public schools. That's right. And that represents about uh, about 600,000 kids, which is about a third of the kids in the state of Georgia. Wow. Now, also, let's talk about what you all were assessing. What were those areas you were looking at and the data that you needed to gather from? Sure. We, we look at it from cradle to career. And so you think about kindergarten readiness, third grade reading, eighth grade math, high school graduation, and post-secondary enrollment completion. The idea is, what the research says, if you get those right, if kids in a community are performing well on those measures, those kids are going to be successful. What did you use to deter- in terms of looking at the perform- performance measures? Excuse me. What were you looking at? So for each one of those measures has a, has a, a different source, but generally Georgia Milestones, which is the state assessment for uh, third grade reading and eighth grade math, high school graduation, and and then the the, uh, the state keeps track of kids that enroll and complete in post secondary. Is Georgia Milestones, and this is your opinion, is that the best data source out there for now? And I don't know if people have different. Please, don't, that's a whole other segment about standardized testing and all of that. But as of right now, is that the best metric to use? So it's it's a question of could it be better? Absolutely. The the advantage of the Milestones assessment is that every kid has to take it. And so we do get a, a universal assessment of where kids are. I wouldn't over-interpret it, and I would look at it more for direction. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not about, hey, Johnny's behind, or Rose is doing great, and Ken's doing poorly. It's about how we're doing system- systemically and mm-hmm. the trends. And I think it's a pretty good measure for that. Uh, and because we test them year over year, although we didn't test in it right after the pandemic, but the last couple of years we've tested, I think it gives us a pretty good gauge of where mm-hmm. kids are. Obviously, we can always do better, but sure. if we're looking to get the, the at a high level of, of the direction of where kids are going, and by the way, the Georgia Milestone data, it maps with national data, too. We okay. look at other assessments. Uh, there's the uh, the national report card. Uh, there's MAP. There's other data sources, too. And for this report, what academic school years did you look at? So we've been we've been doing this as our sixth year in a row mm-hmm. that we've been looking at this, and so we compare year over year. So the pandemic years are obviously part of this. Correct, correct. Let's start with the bright spots. Let's begin there. You said save that for last. No, no. We just look at the bright spots. Uh, you you said that there was some uh, progress, some bright spots yeah. that you all see in the Atlanta schools. Can you let's give our listeners some insight into that? Uh, absolutely, and I think and I appreciate you you you, you bringing that out, Rose, because too often this conversation is and it is it should be sober, but there are pockets of excellence. There are really extraordinary things happening that are demonstrating uncommon success for kids. Uh, we, we, we're really excited about the work that's happening in literacy around the science of reading. Uh, there's a, an a initiative called Literacy and Justice for All, which is based in Marietta. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that every adult facing a, a child from age zero to age 10 is trained in the science of reading, which is a, 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 set, of, a set of instructional mm-hmm. uh, approaches that focus on phonics, explicit phonics instruction. It's led by our friends at, at the Cox campus, the Atlanta Speech School, uh, funded by the United Way and the Whitehead Foundation. Mm-hmm. And it's really making sure that teachers are receiving world-class instructional 
tools to bring kids along in literacy. And so, you know, that is making, we're already seeing it in Marietta in this first year, yeah. tremendous growth. It's also in Atlanta Public Schools now and KIPP. And so we're really excited about what, what we're seeing in literacy in those early stages. All right. So that's one bright spot. Uh, any other one? Sure. And then let's go to the other end of the of the cradle to career continu- continuum and in uh, post-secondary success. Uh, during the pandemic, you know, the FAFSA, which is something that is essential for mm-hmm. kids to receive financial aid, yeah. 1,100 less kids completed the FAFSA than they did uh, before the pandemic because they didn't have that adult. It's a very complicated form. It requires your tax information. It requires... Oh, it was complicated years ago. <laughs> hasn't gotten any easier. You're right. And, and so what we're, what we're asking is kids that really need these resources to fill out this really complicated form. They may have access, trouble getting access to financial information. They may be undocumented. Well, we see some strategies and strategy called College Bound with the Scholarship Academy and, and the United Way coming together, providing extra support in, for kids, nights, weekends, sitting with kids to complete those forms. And we saw 500 more forms completed uh, this past year. And what was that was due to programs That's that correct. were in the it's district. Let's talk about, we know what the we know the pandemic did hinder progress, but you all have some suggestions or some what you would like to see initiatives. I think that's a that's a more positive way because we know that the pandemic, we know that it, it had a, an effect on different student populations. So what are you all suggesting here? What sort of look change? As you know, I remember a few years ago when the whole term. I'm an education reformer was a big deal. And everybody that I talked to, I'm an ed reformer, Rose. I'm like, really? So, you know, you have all these new buzz initiatives that come around every five to ten years. What are you all suggesting here to help this student population that's still dealing with the effects of the pandemic based on their learning environment? What are you all suggesting? So if I had one dollar to spend... I would spend it on making sure there's a highly effective teacher in every classroom. Mm-hmm. I know you. I know you come from a family of educators. I lo- love the show. Listen to you talk about your background with with education, your family. It, if we need to make sure that every kid has an opportunity to be in front of a highly effective teacher, teacher retention is really taking a hit right now. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so I mean, to sorry. our education reporter Martha Dalton has been yeah. re- reporting done a great job about what school districts are trying to do to retain teachers? Is it burnout? It, yeah. What is happening here? So a, a our friends at PAGE, uh, which is Education, Associ- Education Association, uh, released a report, and two-thirds of teachers said it was burnout. It, the salary was way down on the list. So salary is important, and we got to get salary right. And mm-hmm. uh, all the teachers li- listening out there, we want to make sure that you're funded appropriately. But reason teachers are leaving that they report is because the job has been undoable. It is going, you know, the, you look at the stress level of teachers as mm-hmm. reported uh, versus regular workforce, it's double. Mm-hmm. They have, not only are they dealing with kids who are behind, they're dealing with parents. And by the way, teachers went through the pandemic too. Yeah. And they and so all the, all the feelings that we had doing our regular work, they felt that in, in the classroom and they're dealing with kids who are who are further behind. And there's all this other swirling mm-hmm. uh, drama that that winds well, up in the classroom. And so many students need wraparound services. Right. Let's be clear. Their communities mm-hmm. need wraparound services and everything that affects their household affects the 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 aptitude for these kids to learn. So if we're talking about housing yep. or unemployment or health and wellness as it relates to if a parent, you know, contracted the virus or what have you. All of those right. things impact the student, which impacts how they learn a- and their ability to learn. A-, a kid shows up with all of those things in their backpack every morning. And so we look to a teacher, you know, think of all the things that we've laid at the footsteps of our schools, you know, like, you know, the mental health issues, the trauma, seen and unseen, the housing crisis, economic issues, health issues. And so we look to our schools to to solve all of that and that's a real big challenge and so you know back to your question what what do we need to do we need to make sure our teachers feel supported we need to work on their wellness we need to ensure that teachers got into this work because this was their calling and this was their mission and it's it, it is it is it is critical work that we need to make sure they're respected valued and appreciated and also can we talk about readiness even how students from different backgrounds and, and households and communities when they enter K through 12. And I know you all talked about kindergarten readiness here. That's a factor as well. And then even for pre-K. Right. And, and this is where I think the parental role becomes even more important, that as students come in, you know, the parents are students, te- first teachers. We need to make sure parents have the tools to be engaged. And, you know, I'll, and I'm a parent of three Atlanta public school kids myself. 
it, it can be a challenge. It can be a challenge to engage with schools. It can be a challenge engaging for your, with your early child care provider. I would, I, I, would, I would encourage everyone to be a partner that presume good intent. Schools don't always nail it when it comes to providing pathways for students, for parents to get engaged, but presume good intent, advocate for your student, and be a partner because schools can't do this on their own. We need our parents to be engaged. And this is not something, Ken, and I was going through the report, you all are very clear, this is not just about we need more money. Now, you right. do need funding. The districts need funding for so many other uh, programs and initiatives. But again, and this is a word that I've probably said at least 6,200 times, it's a holistic approach. Right. But how easy is that for a district? I mean, for APS, it's going to be different than it is for the city schools of Decatur because they're much smaller. So getting the buy-in from the community and their partnerships may not be as stressful or hard to do as if you're an APS, or maybe it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, money is certainly important, but it's not, we believe that there are bright spots out there, and if we can share, and that, this is really why Learn for Life exists, is so these districts can come together and learn from each other, because there's really not a forum for that. Too many times, and I know this from my time as a, as a district leader in Fulton County, too many times when you come together with other districts, it's in conflict. Mm-hmm. We're creating an, op- an opportunity for districts to come together, share based on data what's working, so we can learn from each other and scale initiatives uh, accordingly. I'll leave it for others to advocate down at the state house for for more resources. But I think right now, if what we'd all like to see is that every dollar gets spent on programs that have evidence based. Uh, experiences. I'm curious, as we're going to wrap up, are there any challenges that are unique, though, to Metro Atlanta schools that perhaps you're not seeing uh, statewide or nationwide? That's an interesting question. I mean, the the our, our, our secret sauce is our diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, our schools across Metro Atlanta look very different from each other. Mm-hmm. So I think that requires a, a an environment where we're really listening to each school, each principal, and trying to customize the program for them based on, uh, on research. But I, I couldn't, you know, as, as we sit here today, I am optimistic about the future because I do see the, the level of commitment, the level of innovation, the level of creativity. That we're, we're rising to meet this moment, but we've got a lot of work to do. Anything else from the, rep- the report that stood out to you or that perhaps you wasn't expecting to see in terms of what the data revealed? Yeah, I mean, I think the the devastation around math has really surprised us. That math uh, really took a hit, um, and maybe because it's such a linear pro, a linear set of uh, experiences that you have to you have to move through the number line to move to fractions to move on to. to you other say factors. took when you say took a hit. You mean in terms of based uh, on these t- these scores? That's correct. Yeah, in, yeah. any particular grade or just eighth grade is what we focused on. Grade. The idea is that eighth grade math is really important because you learn those higher order algebraic skills, critical mm-hmm. thinking skills that you're going to need to be successful through the rest of the program. So when we saw math uh, take a hit and what we, as we convene our, our networks, what they're telling us is the secret answer is highly qualified teachers. We need teachers that are engaging, that can help uh, bring kids through the content to help them catch up. But if it's eighth grade math that you said took took a hit, what does it say about then perhaps the preparation for these these students Leading into that, sure. there's some challenges there. For saying. sure, for sure. We, we look at one moment in time just so we can, uh, so it's easy to report. You can get a wash, and I know you know this, you can get a wash in education data. These are these are with, uh, these are are with critical measures that we look at, but it comes back to that highly effective teacher in every classroom. That's the secret sauce to, to get uh, to get our kids back to where they need to be. Ken, who needs to see this report and, and in terms of those changes and suggestions, where does it begin? I think education is our collective responsibility. You know, something like 30, 40% of our state budget goes into education. If we're going to build the Metro Atlanta that we deserve, that our kids need, we all, you know, our business community, our parents, our, our uh, policymakers who I know are doing their work as, a, as of today, all need to pay attention to the fact that our, uh, our kids are struggling and they're going to need the support of us all to come together and make a difference. Does it start then with that QBE formula? <laughs> <laughs> Look, if, if, if I had to hang my hat on QBE uh, revisions, um, I uh, we might be waiting a while. I think we can always be smarter about our funding formula, but it ultimately comes down to what the adults are doing in, in each classroom across our Metro Atlanta schools. All right. Ken Zelf is the executive director of Learn for Life, an education partnership working with Metro Atlanta schools. And you can find a link to the full state of the education report on our website, 
WABE.org. Ken, as always, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're a gift to you're a gift to Metro Atlanta, Rose. I appreciate that. Should I ask you about UGA TCU? Look, I'm a Michigan guy, and so what is uh, with Michigan today? <laughs> I uh, TCU's tough. Don't don't sleep on TCU, but I, I like Georgia. <laughs> and a note of disclosure, as always, WABE's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. Thank you for what you all do for so many students. Thank you, Rose. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Look, if the Georgia Bulldogs are looking to repeat, they're going to have to go through TCU. The Horned Frogs of TCU. By the way, the Horned Frog is not an actual frog. It's a lizard. That's what I was told. So, anyway, if you don't know that much about TCU, Texas Christian University, it may not be a familiar program, but best believe they can play. Just ask Michigan. Duggan dumps it off short. Quentin Johnston has the first down, and off he goes. They are not going to catch him. No flags. The magic continues for TCU. (laughs) Yeah, the magic continues. Let's talk about it. I'm joined now by our Closer Look sports contributor, Jordan Jordan Tucker. Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you for having me again. All right, let's let's begin here. TCU, who are they? You know, we talk a lot about Georgia. I want to be fair because Mm -hmm. that's what I do as a journalist. TCU, who who are these folks? You know, they're the number one team in the Big Twelve. Okay, that's 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 about all we know this year. Oh, (laughs) yeah, come on. No, TCU is a great team. TCU, I mean, very electric, very high-paced offense. They're what you want to see in the league right now. Um, they've got guys that whose names are popping out: Max Duggan, Quentin Johnson. They've got a lot of players on defense too that are definitely going to play ball at the next level. But they're 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 the number one team in the Big Twelve as far as I'm considered. I want to start with with that quarterback, mm-hmm. Max Duggan. That that young he is a he's a big, he's strong, yeah. he's fast, he's got an arm. He, you know, for folks that are that you know are into football, some folks say remind say he reminds me of Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. But yeah. He's he go that team goes as he goes. Right, I agree, and you you've seen it in the Big Twelve championship game. You saw it last week when they played Michigan. They're they're going to go as far as he's going to take them, and the the combo that they have of uh, the receiver uh, Quentin Johnson mm-hmm. and him, electric, absolutely electric, one of the best co- combos in the country. They score a lot of points. Georgia scores a lot of points. Mm-hmm. I want to start there. Is this a high-scoring affair as you hear sports? It's not a sportscaster whenever I talk about sports. Might this be a high-scoring affair that we're going to see here? I, I sure hope so. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I don't. I know Georgia's got DBs. I don't know if they have a DB for Johnson. Yeah. But um, I, I really do hope it's going to be a high-scoring game. I have a, a question from a listener says, well, is he saying the Big 12 is not a competitive conference? No, not at all. Not at all. I think every every conference is competitive. It's just, it's, it's a little different down in the SEC, I, in my opinion. It might be my bias to growing up here, but yeah. it might be my bias to growing up here. I mean, I played in the ACC. We got some ballers there, too. Yeah. But I, I I look at the SEC, and it's it's just a little different. I think, I think anybody can see that. <laughs> Jordan, I, I love it when you do that. You just you're just trying to you're trying to be neutral. Trying. Uh, all right. <laughs> if there is if TCU has a game plan to beat Georgia, mm-hmm. is it they're going to air it out more because they have the receivers? They I think they have an injury in their their running game, so you got to keep Georgia off the field. Right. Right. Let's be really clear. That, that that's just a, that's a key that I think everyone has tried, but it's. It's hard to do. I mean, mm-hmm. Ohio State came out scoring early. Is mm-hmm. that key too? I think you have to score early. You got to score early, and you got to maintain that pace. You can't, you can't get overexcited when you score early. You still got sixty minutes of football to play. And um, I think Ohio State came out attacking. They came out the right way. They came out how you want to beat Georgia. So I think TCU, if anything, they watched all Ohio State film this past mm-hmm. week, just watching how they played. There's another X factor here for UGA, and that is look. Whether folks are Bulldogs fans or not, Kirby Smart can coach. Yes. He, I mean, the, the coaching in that Ohio State game, mm-hmm. and there was a scene where he's walking off the field, I think at halftime with Stetson Bennett. He's talking to him. He's coaching him right then and there. It's halftime. They're going to the locker room. Mm-hmm. He's already getting him ready, getting Stetson Bennett ready to come back out. 
Are you surprised that Kirby has been so successful? So successful this early, or people say this is what we expected. That's why we hired him. I think I think it was expected. I think it really was expected. Just coming from uh, being with Nick Saban, being in that culture, and then staying in the SEC, going to a powerhouse like Georgia. I think it's expected. I don't think uh, you're, you're following up after Mark Rick. Like either, you can't you can't have much drop off. <laughs> you really can't, especially especially here in Georgia. But I think I think he's a great coach. But it is tough to repeat in any sport for mm-hmm. championship. Uh, but all, we're talking about college football here uh if kirby let's say uj wins does this already put him at that greatest coaches ever sec uga i mean you know two championships back to back i don't know about greatest coaches ever Mm -hmm. i i think i think it still needs a little bit more time with that but i mean is there are they a dynasty then like alabama has been like notre dame back in the day I mean, what do, what do we define dynasty? Because there's people saying Clemson have, Clemson has fallen off, and they they've won the past, I think seven out of the past eight ACC championships. Well, that's a good question. How how do you define a dynasty when it comes to a team? Is I, it just simply winning championships? I just think complete dominance. Like you look at Alabama over the past couple of years, whether mm-hmm. they've we we have judged them so hard on their losses because they have been so dominant. And I think that's what a dynasty is. I think Georgia's building to that, but I don't think they're there yet. Well, here's something. Consider this. This is a stat. Kirby started in, what, 2016? Yes. Uh, I think he won eight games that, that year. But since then, they're 72-10 and 10 over six seasons. Goodness. That, that ain't bad. <laughs> that's not bad at all. <laughs> that's not bad at all. I think any, any coach, any uh, – what do they call um, – the, what are you talking about? The um, uh, dynasties, coaches. No, the athletic directors. Okay, I think any athletic director would be happy, and no matter what sport, no matter what sport, you have ten losses over so many years. Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be happier. And and listen, don't y'all feel sorry for Kirby if it doesn't work out because he has made um a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he'll make about what ten point two five. Before bonuses, that's what he made like back in twenty two. Goodness, uh, <laughs> that ain't bad. That is not bad at all. I mean, he agreed to a new, I think it was a ten year, hundred twelve million. That's insane. Now there's someone driving saying that's just way too much. Oof. College football is big business. College football is huge business. It's huge business. What do you think of expanding the playoffs? Because it's going to happen. And for mm-hmm. those who say, well. TCU, nobody was talking about TCU possibly being in the championship game when the season started. What were the odds, 200 and whatever it was. But what does this say about the college football playoff system? Does it work? Do they get it right in terms of who's obviously Georgia, undefeated, they're there? I've been thinking about this for days, weeks, months, years. Like I think it has to be expanded. I I know they're going to expand it, but there's just some opportunity that's left. I feel. I feel like if you put Bama in the mix, what happens? You have to ask that question. What happens? No, you ain't got to ask Alabama. I think you have to. Alabama fans, they just get on my nerves. Oh, I Dan Wisenhut. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying anything about the Alabama fans because we all know how they are. They're just going. They they want to be number one, whether they have one well, loss, and, no loss, and, or three and, and look, everyone says. I mean, there were some people saying, "What well, you were USC?" But okay, look, you lost. Right, you lost. You but, lost. I think I, I like the idea of just having four teams. I really do. I, I know. Send me your emails. I like that. Plus, these kids got to go to school. That's another thing. I was going to say, adding a whole another week, maybe two weeks of football might. I don't I don't know how it's going to affect kids, but I, I would like to see at least six teams. I just feel like having six is just the right number. <sighs> Giving one and two a bye, let two through four play it out. I think that's just the right oh, thing. Oh, give the top two a bye? Mm-hmm. I think you give one and two a bye. Interesting. Because number one is most likely going to be undefeated. I think they're most likely going to be undefeated. I think they deserve that break. I think they deserve to see who they're going to play play next in that playoff scenario. Mm. All right. We shall see. Well, it's prediction time. Whew. My predictions, my predictions. I'm going to go high scoring again just because I'm excited for the matchup tonight. I'm going to give Georgia 48, TCU 30. 
I said this to Daniel Razel, producer. Uh, I, 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 I'm picking Georgia to win. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> however, there is something about this TCU team and there that court. I like that quarterback. There is. I like him. They're exciting. I like watching him play. So I'm going to say this. I'm picking Georgia. But I won't be surprised if TCU. Make sure you make sure you clarify on that. I one. won't be surprised if TCU is able to pull it out on a just spectacular play by the QB. I won't be surprised either. I'll give yeah. you. I'll give you that. I will not be. It's surprised. It's not going to be a route. I, I don't. Th- I mean, I could be wrong. I, I, but you know. Now I got to ask you this too because it's very important. And, mm-hmm. and, and our politics reporter Raul Bali would tell you this: What is the must-have food at tonight's? Super Bowl, or, or sorry, National Championship game, watch. What is the, the staple that you have, you have to have when you're watching a game? You know, that's my favorite question that you've asked me in my time here. <laughs> <laughs> the staple food, you got to have some chicken wings. Lemon pepper if you can, but chicken wings if you got them. Lemon pepper. All the ranch in the world needs to be there, <laughs> and I need my own personal gallon of sweet tea, and then we're good. Lemon pepper. Lemon pepper. You know what? We're going to get along very well. I think so. Yeah. I lemon, think so. And even hot lemon pepper. Hot lemon pepper. I had some of those two days ago, now, actually. all flats? I don't discriminate. <laughs> I do not discriminate. Wings are wings. Wings are good. That's how I feel. And a gallon of sweet tea. A gallon of sweet tea. It, and who's making these sweet uh, these these wings? Is, is You know. Or are you just going to order them? I I I'd have, I've been through Publix, Wingstop, American <laughs> Deli. I might just have to go get five at each. <laughs> it's a, it'll be a game time decision. All right, Jordan Tucker giving out his prediction. You've heard mine, folks. We shall see you tomorrow. You're gonna come back and and we'll recap what happened. Would love to. Would love All right, to. Jordan Tucker. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Wow, the mid pep. That's you gonna work out around here. Extra crispy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Rizal, Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. And a hearty welcome to a new team member. Closer Look supervising producer Tiffany Griffith joins us today. And she is from Tampa. But we, uh, look, I had nothing to do with that. Go Gators! Okay, a reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. Everything you hear on this program is not necessarily an endorsement of Rose Scott. Just want you to say that. want you to hear that. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look. And, of course, weeknights. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.